Welcome to Beyond the Blue Wall. My name is Henderson Bloomer. I'm joined by Kay Raka Nittel. Kay is an artist and founder of Other Places Art Fair, or OPATH, a yearly contemporary art fair held on the grounds of Angels Gate Cultural Center located in San Pedro. Kay, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's start out uh, by talking about your time at CalArts. What kind of work did you make when you were there? So I was at CalArts uh, for my MFA in 2008, 2010. Um, I had lived in LA for a minute before then. So I didn't just move here or move to Valencia. I wasn't one of those students who just like transplanted to Valencia. So I knew what I was getting into. I knew the history I and it was always a place. I'm from the East Coast and it was always, uh, you know, an institution I was aware of and when I thought about the possibility of going there, I got very excited and um, I went. And so when I was in the grad program, I guess uh, I was making work that was performative in nature. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. I would say performative sculpture or performative installations. That just simply means to me that like they were environments that had objects in them that required either me or the audience to interact with them, to activate the piece and, um, you know, complete the work. And then at the same time, I was uh, co-hosting parties, I guess, was part of my practice. Um, I was DJing. um, Before I went to CalArts, I was actually a, a professional, I guess, club DJ, you know, for DJ for money, not just for hobby. And so at the time I was kind of layering that into my practice as well. And so why not throw parties at school? So we did that as well. And, um, and then I also was playing around with the idea of like having my studio be a space where I could host, um, shows and, and other, you know, events. And, that I guess that was the key thing for me at the time was just like it was this place where I was able to just explore this idea of like something I always believed with my work was that it should be communal and it should be generative and it should be interactive and and so my time at CalArts was spent like trying to make work that pushed those ideas further. And was Um, there something about the environment at CalArts that lent itself to that kind of work, that kind of interactive uh, performance work? I Yeah, I think so. I mean, I for me, it was just the the freedom of it all. Um, I think it's a it's a very loose program. And I don't mean that in a like, I mean, that in the best way, Um, (laughs) a loose program. It was at least at the time, you know, where it was you pretty much built it however you wanted to. And so for me, um navigating that space and navigating that sort of almost complete freedom and hands-off approach that the art program had um helped me develop this idea of you know a, a social practice I guess and you know and work that that does require um you know it's propositional it requires an audience to make it function right. and so and so I think that, you know, just the, yeah, just the freedom of the program really helped nurture that for sure. 
And were there other students at the time that you really gravitated towards or were frequent collaborators on these projects? Yeah, at the time I was collaborating a lot with um, Carl Pompicelli, who was in the program with me. And it was funny, it was like, we just so happened to have studios next to each other um, our first year. And um, I think just working next to each other um, we formed a relationship, I guess, because we were neighbors, but then also we started seeing, um, our work is totally different, but we started seeing, we started picking up on, on similarities and we would do these sort of performances parties. Um, we ended up doing a lot of, uh, performances and stuff together. And then after we graduated, we did a few things as well. Um, and so that was nice too, to just like have someone there who was, I think, navigating the same space but in a totally different way um and then after you know it was like um i've i've formed a collaborative relationship with uh, my friend steve cato who also went there and steve and i um at the time when we were at school didn't work together um we liked each other just fine and everything but um but it was afterwards um that we really sort of like formed a bond um, outside of the program. But then like looking back, I think we were also kind of doing similar things in a, you know, in the same universe, but, but just, you know, adjacent to each other. And, um, and then we ended up hooking up after uh, we were both out of the program and we've worked together now for a bunch of years. And, and that's a really, that also is a very CalArts kind of collaboration, like where it's just, we both have our own practices and, and, and then we have our thing that we do together whenever we feel like we need to or want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like always active, but always on hiatus at the same time. <laughs> um, but that's, it's a great way to work, I think. Um, no yeah. pressure. Yeah. Do these kind of models come from, are there, are there any professors there or any texts that get passed around that sort of are foundational to that kind of practice? I, I mean, I would say just generally, it's just the, uh, for lack of a better word, like the vibe of the place, right? Like, it's like you have this um, history of like, you know, Alan Capro and Michael Asher and, and um John Baldessari and you hear all these like big names before you get there and so it's just like you have in your mind this idea of what that work was about what their teaching methods were about and all that and whether whether or not like you work with them or not like I didn't work with any of them um but it's just like the aura I guess Mm -hmm. that's there no I think that makes a lot of sense and you've articulated some of these these qualities of connections that are really hard to pin down uh, when you're looking at it from the outside. As you graduated from CalArts, what was a what were the projects you, you started focusing on as you took those uh, connections you you gained at CalArts? I guess for me, when you know when CalArts was done, and I don't know if this is typical for most people. Um, I think everyone, on some level, has some sort of ex expectation or idea or hope of what they're going to get out of a master's degree or or like, you know, completing a graduate program, right? I didn't go into CalArts uh, with any 
preconceptions. I didn't, I didn't expect to come out and, you know, it would have been great if like I came out and was showing everywhere and, you know, had a studio set up and like my career was, you know, full throttle. That being said, I got out and I realized like, oh, I have all of that and I'm in complete control of it. And, and I learned that at CalArts, I think like it was, you know, it was definitely an idea that um, was already percolating. Like I, I lived in New York um, for a minute. I'm from Long Island originally. And um, I have a friend in New York, um, Hana Fushihara, who had this gallery space in her apartment in the early 2000s called Little Cakes. And she's from the whole um, RISD world of things. Um, so, so she had this whole network of people and she was showing work in her apartment in New York City, which at the time was just like unheard of. Like mm. it was just like galleries did not exist anywhere other than, you know, in Chelsea or Soho or whatever. And that I think was just something that I banked in my mind. Like I was just like, oh, that's amazing. Like she just decided like, you know, screw this system and I'm going to create this thing in my apartment, like outside of it all. So fast forward, I get to LA, I'm at CalArts, and then I start, that's in my head already, and then I'm done. I finish CalArts, and I start thinking about this idea of just like, what, you know, how do you, it's not even about operating like outside of a system necessarily, it's about creating another system, creating another network, creating another um, you know, creating new venues, creating new languages, creating just like dialogues that are separate from this one that we're we're kind of told that we're supposed to all participate in, which is just, you know, you learn a craft, you go to these sanctioned places, you show your work, you talk at these places, you do these things. And so, so I wanted to really push that idea. And I started, um, I guess, just to rewind a little bit too, I think it, like, a key moment for me was I was at CalArts, I think it, yeah, it was in my second year. And I just did this like throwaway project where like I hosted a residency where there was, I created, I invented this artist who came and was showing work in my studio, but it was, it was all fictional and, and, you know, but it was just this idea of just like, if you say something, and write a press release, um, it, it becomes real. That's what that was about. And so like, anyway, all these ideas are like floating around in my head. I get out and I moved to San Pedro and I had a flagpole at my house and I had a backyard and I was thinking a lot about Instagram and just art digitally, like, you know, like how we look at art digitally. And so I made a, a, a project called the Art Pedro, which was a sculpture garden in my backyard that um, you could only see on Instagram. So again, it was about this public private kind of thing, like where it was just like anyone could come, but nobody could come at the same time. Like you couldn't actually see the work in real life. And so then, and that was about sort of starting this conversation about um, how we think about art viewing now like do, yeah. you even, do you even have to be in the same room with a sculpture anymore right. to understand it and so that's what that was about and then I was like oh and I have this flagpole 
great, like let's turn that into a gallery. And so that became Harborview and Pole. And that, and then I started inviting artists to make flags for the flagpole. And that was about this idea of just activating art through the elements, through wind. And so I start doing all these projects. And as you start doing things like that, you're constantly talking to people, you're constantly meeting people, you're constantly finding out that like, you know, you're not the only one who has a flagpole in the country, right? Who's like asking artists to put flags up and, or, you know, you're not the only um, person exploring these ideas. And so I started meeting people and having broader conversations about these ideas of just like, what does it mean to just like open a space on your own? Like, what does it mean to have a gallery showing like, like really amazing work that's like, in someone's basement or like a garage or like, you know, their mailbox or wherever. Right. I don't know. There, there were just, there's this larger conversation that I felt was happening, especially in Los Angeles at the time, because we're fortunate enough to have, you know, nice weather and relatively more space for less money than, you know, say like San Francisco or New New York or yeah. And so the scene can, or uh, I mean, I call it a scene, I guess it's more of like a, a family, an idea, a, a community can like thrive here. Right. And so it was just kind of like a perfect storm. I think at the time, I think this was in 2017, um, human resources hosted an event. It was a networking event more or less for, for people who were running artists run project spaces and alternative spaces and things like that. It was basically like, I don't know, it felt like speed dating or something. Like everybody had like two minutes to, to present their project. And then it was just, it was great. It was just like one thing after another, no questions, no nothing. It was just like, you got two minutes to present your project. And so I went there and I presented Harborview and Pole and Yard Pedro. And then I like put names to faces of other, you know, things. And right before that I had started a blog because I was just like, okay, like all of this stuff needs to kind of be documented as much as it could because there will be a show in someone's house and then it will never, they'll never have another show. Right. And these spaces don't exist. They're uh, temporal and they're like, yeah, it's like, you could miss a really good show. And so I was just like, okay, what if we archive this? And so I started a kind of like just a picture post. There's no, it's not, there's no review. There's no criticism. There's anyone could post. It was just like a general thing. It was just like, Hey, are you having one of these shows? Then place it here. And that was called other places. And so that's where the name came from. So it started with this blog and I was just like, okay, what do you call all these places? They're just like, I kept, I think in conversation, I kept using that term. I was just like, there's all these like other places that people are doing stuff. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense as a term because I think a lot of the things we've touched on, there's they're often private spaces for people to live that they just have so much excess of their art life that it needs to fit, like fill that shed or needs yeah. to be in their car or needs to be this other thing yeah. that is just, you know, it it's, happens in New York in apartments, but in LA, we just have so many of these extra pockets of, of things that feel like they have potential for use. I think also, I mean, I, I would say that 
you know, comparing the two worlds also. And I hate doing that. Like in New York, it's like this in LA. It's like this because <laughs> frankly, like it's like this in New York too. So that's fine. But I will say that I feel like what I found out here in LA and what I gravitate to is more so just this idea that you have the space, mental space and physical space to have your work sort of be your life in a way that seems more, I don't want to say more natural, but, but almost more natural. Like you're, you're able to, to experiment more Mm. when you're not worrying about living in the two places. Right. LA is getting less livable, I feel like, but comparatively, it's a pretty, you have a pretty decent quality of life if you can find it here and, and you can make a more decent quality of life, arguably. And then that I think allows, and I know I'm speaking in very general terms here and, but whatever, but for me, speaking from my, my, my personal experience, having that space mentally and physically here having just like time to kind of like sit with ideas and not just be in this constant stress mode or or like go 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 you know it's just like you know the the I don't know the stereotype of just like the laid back like California you know resident or or like just that general vibe is like it's true to an extent and that's that's what like once I embrace that <laughs> and I think going to CalArts like helped me embrace that in a way where it was just like I was like what do you mean I don't have to show up to class until 10 minutes after it starts I don't understand this you know but then like once you kind of like ease into this this thing it allows your it allows for that headspace to, to for your artwork and your you know just your your whatever your creative um, outlet is just to sort of take over everything in this way it's like a I don't know, like a fungus, I guess, or something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the metaphor for it is you know, there it is vague in some sense, but it is something a lot of artists, people after grad school or after their art ed- education are trying to figure out because it does feel like the stress of everyday life is encroaching more and more and having the ability to find time to make work to do the thing that feels like you are an artist feels harder. But if you just like, if you have like the California laid back thing, like a lot of it seems more possible or, or, or like the, the strictures or the, like the hurdle you need to jump for something to be an art practice or an artwork seems more possible. Yeah. uh, Sometimes moving from the blog and then it, becomes a fair what, what was that transition what happened transpired between I think I mean I think the spark was that event at human resources where I saw like okay it was just everyone came to see what everyone was doing and I left that event and I was just tongue-in-cheek thing at first like I was just like oh it'd be really great to like have an art fair that wasn't about being an art fair and then I was just like wait a minute why don't I just do it why don't I just like start this art fair. And the first one was one day. um, And that was fine. The first one, I didn't know if I would ever do another one. I didn't know. I didn't know if anyone would want to do it or come. Yeah, it was just like, it was a natural progression, I think, like, I was just sort of thinking about, you know, everyone doing these projects and 
you do meet people and talk about people, but it's, it's kind of a lot of work to, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to, um, you know, to see everything and know about everything and talk to everybody. And, and then I think I was just like, well, what if I could find a space and create a space where whoever wanted to could come kind of like set up a booth and I use that in very loose terms also um, for the day and just show whatever they want. And everyone's in one place and everyone's there uh, like in this neutral setting like, I, like that was the key thing for me too. I, so many of these spaces are about where they're located mm-hmm. is what I was realizing. Like even, even the ones I was doing, right? Like the flagpole is very specific. Yeah. My backyard on Instagram is very specific. And so I was aware that, you know, there was this other underlying kind of thing happening with all, with a lot of these projects, which is just like, they were about where they were. And then when I started thinking about like, okay, then what happens when I'm asking people to remove what they're doing from that space and place it somewhere else? Will that work? Yeah. Like if you think about a tradi- so I was thinking about like traditional capital, I call them like capital A art fairs, right? Like art fairs that their intent is for galleries to come, show their work, sell their work, and actually network and network in the in the business sense of the word, I guess. And then I was thinking like, okay, so like, let's say we have this, like a convention center and you have 10 by 10 white rooms divided up. And then you ask a space, I don't know, like elevator Mondays, for example, which is a space that Don Adler used to do that was in an elevator at his studio. Right. Like, I was just like, then how does that work? Like when you're, when you have a, a gallery that's in a space that's so specific and then you're putting it in this blank. And I was just like, that seems really weird. And so then my thought at the time was just like, it would only work if you can pluck everyone from their very, like, you know, from their very specific locations and drop them in a space that's equally as specific to itself, but not to the projects, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, there's a complete difference between the traditional art fair model where everyone is expected to take their white walled gallery space and put it in this white walled cubicle space. And Mm. sometimes the art will push out of that, but often it has to be within the square footage or on the walls. But if you extreme the other side of that, you have artwork installed in an elevator, artwork installed in a backyard, then the other extreme has to be all of, has to be able to contain the expanse of whatever uh, is out there. Like whatever non-traditional space has to be able to exist in a, like in a hill or in a bunker. Like that sure. feels like we're getting to some of Angel's Gate being a really great place in a weird way, the mil- the military industrial complex of that space actually yeah. lends itself to the different terrain. Well, yeah. And so like, like I said, so I was, so all this, all this is going on while I'm living in San Pedro now. And, and um, so I'm starting to try to think about 
a space that would make sense for this. And I had had a show in, um, I think in 2013 it was, or 2014 at Angel's Gate, um, Isabel uh, Luderot, who was there at the time, she was the director and we did a studio visit and she, I was very excited because she offered me a show. And so I had a show in their gallery there and their galleries at Angel's Gate are incredible because the whole um, center are old um, army barracks. And so the gallery building, the artist studios, all that are all these um, World War One, World War II era um, army barracks. And so I was there, I had a show there and I started thinking about my work situated in this space that used to be something else that's gone through all these transitions that like started out as an army barracks and was kind of left to rot and then become, excuse me, an art, art an art center. But Angels Gate Park, where Angels Gate Cultural Center is, has all these different organizations in it. Um, there's the there's the mil- uh, military museum there. There are all these like model train clubs. There's a marine animal rescue. And then there's a park attached to it with, um, uh, it's the, called the Korean Friendship Bell. It's a, and it's just a very picturesque park. There's a basketball court there, like an infinity basketball court, you know, that's very, that's been in tons of ads, like a Kobe Bryant. Yeah, yeah. it has stuff. the the iconic concrete molded. Uh, yeah, the concrete molded. Hoops. Yeah. And so that's there. And so I was, I was spending a lot of time there um, because I had my show there and I was installing it. And I was just like, this space is active. Like this space is very like, it's charged, right? Plus the fact that it's, it's sacred Tongva land that then became a military base, you know, a lot of years elapse in, in between there, of course. But like, until I moved to San Pedro, I had no idea that LA and California was like a front during World War One and World War Two. Like, I was just like, why is there an army base in San Pedro? And then you're like, oh, yeah, because we were worried about getting invaded. And like, and it blew my mind. And then like, you walk, you go to parks in San Pedro, just like, you know, you go for hikes, and all of a sudden you stumble upon like a bunker or like an old or a decommissioned missile site. And um, so there's this retired military history there that's fascinating to me so that's built on top of something and then then the municipality takes over so then there's this other layer and then there's like and then it gets divided up into all these other organizations and it all kind of makes this space that um is public and private at the same time so it's a lot of these ideas I was thinking about already in my work and I was in this at this site and I was just like who owns this section of the park who like and you find these sections of angels gate park that are just like it looks post-apocalyptic you know it's just like crumbling bunkers that are covered in graffiti and like makeshift skate ramps and stuff and you're just like who maintains this and like you'll ask around and they'll be like oh i don't know that's not on our our you know it's not within our boundaries and if you look at a map of la city you have LA city, you know, you have like downtown, you have like LA proper. And then you have just like this little strip that goes down along the 110 to San Pedro and San Pedro is technically part of LA city, but it's like the part of the part. It's like when you look at gerrymandering maps or something where you're just like, how did that boundary happen? But it was just like, it's all about LA city 
having port access and having the harbor. And so San Pedro is technically part of Los Angeles, the city. It's in LA County, but nobody in San Pedro considers themselves to live in Los Angeles. Nobody who's from there. And I thought that was perfect too. I was just like, okay, this is the perfect part of LA to have this like LA event or LA focused event that isn't part of LA at all, but still technically is LA. And then it's this place that like not many people have been to. I mean, more people have now since I've started doing OPAF and, um, you know, Angel's Gate has had a lot of great shows and there's a lot of overlap. And now people are way more familiar with that part of LA, but when I started OPAF, it was, it was like asking people, I don't know, to drive to like Portland or something, you know, that's how far they thought. Cause San Pedro is like one of those places you just see on like a highway sign and you're just like, it could be Santa Ana. It could be San Pedro. It could be Sacramento. I don't know. Like who knows where any of those places are if you, if you don't look at a map. So it just felt perfect it made sense to give everyone who would participate in the fair a chunk of that space yeah. and then just like and then do what you want with your chunk of this weird whatever it is and then that in turn creates this always think of it as like a, a like a parallel universe version of an art fair or something like where it's just like we're on a different timeline or something it's just like this, you're kind of doing the same thing, which is like you're giving everyone a, a a blank space to do whatever they want with, but the blank space they're getting is so filled. It's like overloaded with, you know, with symbols, with history, with meaning that it becomes blank because you have to, you have to really embrace it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of the people who took that space in a way or interpreted that what you described as this intersection of a lot of different things. And I think that um, points to how Los Angeles does have a history. And for a long time or for a number of long times, uh, people have said, you know, there's no history in LA, there's nothing uh, to respond to. But uh, I've been to the fair I've seen some of the ways people respond to the actual space of it. So there are people who are coming to the fair who have their artist-run spaces and they're used to responding to places a part of whatever artwork they install. What are, what are some of the projects that, that have been at OPAF over the years? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Like, so it runs, it's like a full spectrum thing and that's what I like about it like some people come and they're just like oh it'd be really great to like okay because it's outdoors first of all so that's incredible to me that we can it's another like benefit to living in LA and Southern California is just like you can have an art fair outside right so that that's great and so already that kind of uh, you know becomes a medium that you can use right and so it's just like using the wind, using the, the hill, using the trees, the space garden, the first year used this, like there's this outcropping of um, yucca trees. And like, what was kind of, there was this tongue in cheek thing where they're called, the space was called garden because I think it started out in the garden of their apartment, but then like when they came, so um, let me just give you some background too. When, when I have the fair, 
we do site visits, right? And so if there's an application process for the fair, once we figure out who's in it, um, I set up like usually two days where everybody can come down to San Pedro and just spend the day walking around the site and stake their claim. And they're just like, okay, like in this case, Garden saw this um, bunch of yucca and they were like, we want that. And I was just like, cool, take it. You, that's your site. And what they did is they ended up installing work, um, photo work that was, you know, natural in subject matter that then was hung in the trees themselves. Right. And I think like, that's a really great direct way that people deal with the space. There have been other people who have like really gotten into this history that I was just talking about, about that area. You know, it's a port city. It's like right by the Harbor. So there's that. So there's commerce going on. There's erased histories left and right down there. There's like native histories. There's, um, the Japanese internment that happened during World War II, like San Pedro was a large population of um, Japanese Americans in the early uh, 20th century that basically all just got um, displaced and interned. And so like, that's a whole other thing. And that, like, so there are all these, these parts of truly, truly dark American histories that purely American histories that exist there that, that people have responded to. Um, and I'm trying to think of like a specific example, but I think everyone kind of in some way or another, once they learn about the space, they start thinking about that as well. And I, you know, this last year too, it was really weird too, because um, of COVID, like everything's strange. And so like we had this space outside that was like open, but then we still had to postpone the event last year. So then something kind of, I mean, it was like this year's OPAF ended up, we just had it this past September and it, it just felt really magical. It was this moment when everyone took a breath kind of, and we were all outside again and it was, it, we were able to have it. And, and I felt like there was some work at this last OPAF, like um, John Bertel, who's a, another CalArts alum, like had a piece that was just like a blanket piece. And it was just like, on the ground, in the grass. And it was just really great to see people just like laying and sitting and talking on his work. So moments like that make the make me really love that site. And um, I mean, I think, yeah, the adjustments that had to be made this year because of COVID were interesting. That has less to do with the site itself, I think, and more than like, you know, the moment of time that we're in. Um, but there's also, you know, people have utilized the, like, kind of like garden using the yucca, like there are these nooks and um, you really, if you haven't gone down there, you have to go down there at some point, um, come to the next OPAF, whenever that is. And that, but in the meantime, you can, it's, a, it's, a, it's open to the public, so you can go walk around, but there in the battery, there are tunnels going into the hill that are sealed off. So there are all these entrances to nowhere that nobody can get to. And I, I was told by Isabel when I had a show there that there is a secret like underground theater that used to be where they showed movies and had performances and stuff um, when it was an army base. And that blew my mind because I was just like, oh my God, if that could be opened um, just as a theater space in 
in LA, like forget about OPEF. I just mean in general. But anyway, there's all these secret tunnels and stuff. And so there have been people who have utilized those tunnels for sound, you know, like it's just like the, the acoustics are kind of crazy in there. It's also like underground. So it just feels cold and dark and like you have that. And then there are places at the battery where that are blocked off, but there you can see beyond where you can't go. And people have used that as well as just like part of their booth, like where it's just like, what if we hung stuff like out of reach Mm. um, in this tunnel and um, without giving, you know, mentioning every project I love, I've loved by name um, because I've loved everything that's, that's been at OPEF. But it's just to say that I feel like there are these, like, there's this endless way to actually like um, be in conversation with that site. Right. And everybody's taken, like, you know, it's just like, it runs the gamut of like, everyone's done something. I mean, um, selfishly, it's just like, one of the reasons also I'm, I get really excited about doing OPAF is because there is a giant flagpole that used to be the, the, the army bases flagpole. Um, and so I have this flagpole gallery. And when I found out like the flagpole was available for OPAF, I was just like, okay, that's my booth permanently. It's just like, fair enough. Like I organize the fair, I get to, I can pick my spot and just make it mine forever. But um, just being able to use the wind, you know, like it, it gets really windy down there. It's, it's the peninsula. And, but then also this idea of like using this flagpole that was actually difficult to get permission to use because mm. army flagpoles are this weird thing that like they're, they're only supposed to ever fly an American flag and they're only ever supposed to fly it you know, certain ways, but this is a decommissioned army base. So it's like, is the flagpole still under, like, are these, do these rules still apply or not? And so I've had fun, like playing around with that too. Like what happens when you fly like other types of flags on this massive army issue flagpole? What does that do? What does that mean to the history of that pole? Anyway, all that to say that like, just the site itself is just, it's generative for sure. It sounds like it's a place that you can return to all the time and there are constant things being discovered by everyone trying to work around certain rules or try to find where the boundaries are in a place that feels like there are endless possibilities, but also very specific structures. Yeah, without a doubt. I, and I think that, you know, that's something I keep like having to think about where, okay, so we've done four OPAFs at that site now. And they've all been totally different. And that's, I think, you know, it's just like, I always kind of kick around the idea of I was just like, okay, what if there is another, is there another site in LA that makes more sense? Like, is this getting stale? Like, do we, you know, but I think that that space just lends itself to, you know, again, just like not to harp on the weather and the wind, but like, that is also a huge thing. Like it just being outside and being like, basically as coastal as you can get, it's just like, there's this other factor that like, everyone's forced to deal with. And there are times where like this past OPAP, it was great. It was like super sunny. It was hot. Everyone was getting sunburned, but at the same time, there were like, you know, 30 mile an hour, like gusts throughout the whole day and like 
tents were flying around and whatever. And it sounds like it could be a disaster, but it's just like, it's great to watch like people like run around and try to find rocks to hold artwork down and work that all out in real time. And I think also it's just like, you know, it's always just like a weekend event. And so you don't have that like week of setup that art Mm. fairs have. You know, it's just like you roll up, you set up your thing, um, you think about it a lot beforehand. And then when you get there, you just kind of are like, it's changing throughout the weekend too. And I think there's no reason really to like find another space for the LA event. No, there are some unique things happening at fair that are humbling, maybe, which is not a word that is used terribly often (laughs) in our context, but nature provides a way to also you know be humorous and yeah. just the the trick of the wind pushing any plans out of the way like making anything you could have thought would work mm-hmm. now it d- does not work um yeah. which is just that's a that's a kind of humor that i feel like is is a certain kind of art making that it always has a kind of turn of a joke or, or oh, self-awareness. Yeah, I know. And just like bringing it back to that or the original question of just like, you know, like what was I, what was I making at CalArts? Like, where did the, like, did this idea come from all that? And like, yeah, it's totally that. It's just like, there is a humor. There is this like embracing of like the futility of it all. It is an attempt to like, humble for sure like I think that's a great word it's just like you know any I talk about when I when you know when I've given presentations about OPATH and another key moment for me was just like you know after grad school like going to some of these art fairs like going to Art Basel and 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 just feeling awful you know just feeling like this is not what I signed up for you know and like and again, like I understand, and that's why I, I, I talk about these things as like parallel universe things, right? Like I'm not trying to sort of like destroy that system by like throwing a, an art fair in San Pedro in a decommissioned <laughs> army battery, right? Like, it's just like, I know that like that needs to exist. That work, the, you know, the capital A art world needs to exist. And I'm fine with that. But like uh, my... I also think that in doing what I'm doing, it's just like pointing out this sort of inherent failure or fragility, I guess, of that system, right? Or and then like I I think the the time that we're in right now too, I, like historically, I feel like OPAF has kind of like kept me um it's kept me sane kind of because it's just like I, I'm sort of creating that I almost and again it's like to the site um or speaking about the site it's just like it is it feels very post-apocalyptic it feels very like like dystopian you know and it and it, it but I like but I, it's like I I feel like it embraces like the um positive qualities of those things right like it's not like we're like oh god like it's over it's just like yeah it can be over look it could be great you know you could like you could not give a shit and like you could just do this and and that's that's sort of um yeah I think that's like an an element of my work for sure my work personally and weirdly I think like OPAF has become my practice you know and that's another thing I think I learned at CalArts where it was just like anything can be your your practice anything can be your work you don't need to look at an object like you can, we can, you can put a thought out there. You could like 
have an art fair as your practice. You can like have a dinner, you know, do whatever. And so, um, so yeah, I think it's just like in line with that. And I've just, I've embraced that. I've embraced that weird, like, it's just like the kookiness of it all. It's just like, yeah, sure. Like, why not like call it art and you're done. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about like that practice and what it takes to have a practice like that. A lot of the networking, a lot of the going and seeing and knowing what everyone else is doing, being a part of that community. Uh, Can you talk maybe a little bit more about some practical things about the fair? Some of, I think, uh, Topo Chico uh, had a, a, a cart that had uh, free waters, which, you know, speaking to the elements, very essential part of being <laughs> out there, having water uh, for people coming to the fair um, and other things like staffing. What was it like to, to put that together? It, you have a lot of, uh, a, you know, capacity to do things yourself, but was it like to manage other people and like, working affair yeah um i mean that's been a learning experience for sure um so the first one i did i pretty much did i think let's say 99 percent of it on my own and then you know at the event itself i think angels gate helped me like staff the table and they 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 always have people available for setup and stuff like that and that's great of them but like so first of all um there is a mission to it, um, you know, and at, very early on, I wrote like a five point, I call it a manifesto, but even calling it a manifesto is kind of like tongue in cheek. But the main, the main mission and the main purpose has also been to sort of, I don't know, devalue in a way like, um, you know, I don't want it ever to be cost prohibitive. And I think that's a huge problem with art fairs is that they're cost prohibitive um, for a lot of people. And that's, that's intentional and it's also practical, right? Like it's like to throw a huge art fair costs money. You have to rent a venue, you have to hire people, you have to do all this stuff. But then also it's just like, you also just don't want any like riffraff showing up and having a booth. So let's set a price of like, you know, $5,000 for a booth and, you know, the project space from someone's basement can't have a booth at our puzzle, right? Like, so, so that's how that world exists. With OPAF, it's just like, I wanted to see what happened too. like when you just get rid of all that, right? Like, how do you make it as free as possible monetarily? Like there, I do charge some fees. I charge like some application fees and I charge booth fees, but they're nominal. You know, it's just like, I've, I've figured out what do I need to feel okay personally with all the work I'm doing for this event? And then also you know, back to this like practical thing of like things costing money. It's not about keeping people out, but it's also kind of like getting people to buy in a little bit and get a commitment. It's just like, okay, like if you have to, you know, pay $50 for your booth, which is kind of nothing like, you know, I know $50 is a lot for some people. I'm not, and we are flexible, but it's like, it's one of those things. Like, it's just like, sure. Like get 20 of your friends together and get $2 and 50 cents each and have a booth at OPAF, right? Like, it's just like, they're like, that's why it's sort of like made like that, but it's about like sort of there being at least some sort of a commitment to it. But I've tried to take away as much of that as possible. That being said, it's just like, it's a lot of work. And so I've had to figure out ways to, you know, to compensate myself for my time. Also how to like, 
it's tiring. And so I've need to hi- I've needed to hire people. So I've, you know, I hire people to help me with setup and run, you know, do the admissions. And then I was thinking a lot about like corporate sponsorship of art fairs, right? Like you go to Art Basel and like, before you even get in the door, you're like walking in front of a like step and repeat from like absolute vodka or something, right? And it's just like this whole thing starts from the second you get there where it's just like corporate stuff. And so I started trying to find companies that would give in-kind donations. So like that's Topo Chico has been great. Like Topo Chico gives me water every year for OPAF. Um, so that was also kind of important to me. I was just like, I want people to be able to come in. Like if you're outside all day, like I don't want people to have to worry about buying a like $4 water. I didn't want to like have it be like, I don't know, fire festival or like, or I don't know, Woodstock 99 or something. Um, <laughs> But then also the, the, the like, quote unquote, like corporate sponsors I get are also are kind of tongue in cheek in a way too, like where it's just like, the event is so different than like, uh, you know, a, a corporate sponsored event. So it's just like, if I can find, I think the first year too, it was um, Yerba Mate. There was a, uh, what brand was it? Anyway, there was like a sparkling like Yerba Mate brand that like donated they were doing like and I I tend to find the like whoever's doing like the art events at the time and then kind of just like amping it up a little bit but that really helps because it like it relieves a little bit of pressure it's just like so I don't have to worry about like oh my god like I have to have like a million food trucks there or I have to have like a concession stand or all that and so that takes care of that and so I think the whole the whole model is just as DIY as possible, right? Like as, and as communal as it can be. And I don't ask anyone what they do in their booth. We don't take a commission if people sell things. So that way that removes that as well. Like nobody has to worry about selling work. And that's a huge thing for us. We, meaning OPAF, the, or like the, the mission is about removing that aspect of an art fair too like where it's just like what if you had an art fair where like no one was trying to sell you something right and they could actually make a decision to show what they want to show based on what they feel and not like oh my god I just laid out ten thousand dollars for this booth what are people going to buy right now you know and so everything's been like that and through I guess sort of my pure intentions I find people who want to help like want to support like it, it it has become a community it's 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 a community of like-minded people who are willing to help out if they can and like you know it's very word of mouth I do it the best as I can to get press coverage and all that but it's just it's basically this thing that it's a labor of love you know and and just also bringing it back to this Kellerts thing, like the, and the reason we're actually talking of, because like this past year too, I got that, like the seed grant, the alumnus seed grant and that too, like that was really helpful. I mean, I was able to hire people to work and that was huge. Like that helps. Like that means you don't have to convince someone to volunteer for the day. That means you're like, Hey, like, I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where like, I, yeah, I can pretty much like work all that out, hire people, have volunteers, all that. But it was just nice to have that like extra little chunk. And then the irony was is that I ended up hiring like CalArt students to work the admissions booth. So then the like money I got from CalArt <laughs> went to CalArt students to pay CalArt. 
to then pay for next year's grant. <laughs> so it's like this like Ouroboros kind of thing or whatever, the, the CalArts eating but, itself. But yeah. Um, that cowards inevitably leads to something else cowards yeah exactly and so but I thought that was kind of great how that worked out too and like that was but that's great and so like moving forward the idea is just that um turn it into a nonprofit, so then I can apply for grant money that then it can be not bigger in that like it would be in a convention center all of a sudden and it would be like a real art fair but like I just mean like I would be able to give, like, we give prize money every year, like, and that, that's kind of like a funny, started out as a joke, but then also it's, it's a very necessary thing. Like we give a prize out at the end of OPAF, which is as much cash donations as we can raise from, Mm. you know, some generous people in our circle. And, and then we, we give an award out and, but the award's given out at random. And like, that's another like flip of like the art fair model, like where it's just like becomes this popularity contest. The person that wins like the best in show wins the like, you know, $25,000 from absolute vodka. And in our case, it's just like, okay, I'll pick you randomly out of the hat. You're the best. Like, here's, you know, some money for your efforts, you know? And so we try to just like, you know, keep it as, I guess communal as possible it's keeping it as true to its to the cause as possible you know okay you want to talk a little bit about other next things for you for OPATH sure the plan was to do a a smaller OPATH in Northern California this spring but then COVID still happening so that's TBD. It might be uh, so. We were, we're starting OPAF North, which is just again isn't about anything other than making it a little more convenient for people, and then also trying to, like when I was talking about trying thinking about where else could OPAF happen, and the battery makes total sense for LA, and so I don't think finding another location in LA makes sense. So I was just like, what about taking this idea and plopping it in other you know spaces around. Most of the participants at OPAF are from LA, but we we do get a sprinkling of spaces from Northern California, from the Pacific Northwest, from there was someone from Reno there this year. Um, and so I was like, okay, like there's enough of a there's enough of a like similar mindset or something going on north of us. <laughs> so I was just like, let let's try one up there and. Um, Escalar, who's a space in uh, Santa Rosa, they're kind of our, you know, boots on the ground, I guess, up in Northern California. So we're working with them to 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 make that happen. But uh, we'll see what happens with pandemic and stuff, and whether that can happen. And then um, also, we're th- I've been thinking a lot about Mexico City because when we did the first OPAF, it was the I went down to Material. Um, OPAF happened the week before material, the first one. And, um, and I just thought like Mexico city would be a perfect place to do that. I, you know, and again, like some, some spaces from Mexico city have showed at OPAF. Um, we have friends and colleagues down there who have said like, yeah, it would be great. And then, but it's just like, it all just becomes a matter of I don't know. I feel like the the San Pedro OPAF like happened so organically and perfectly. And it becomes one of these things where you're just like, you don't want to try to replicate that. You want 
but you want to replicate it as much as possible. So I'm like taking my time and easing into these things. And then it also just becomes like, how much time do I have to like spread myself around that much? Like doing the one a year is like a lot already. Um, but that's the plan. The, and then there's always been this idea that like OPAP becomes this, this bigger thing that would be like a network of spaces. So there would be like, you know, a way to connect someone in, you know, Hungary with someone in San Francisco who's kind of doing the same thing, like through just like, uh, you know, a website through a, a network that way. And then want to play around with the idea of like having a, um, a press also like publishing works as well. When we were, when we had to cancel during the pandemic, we did our first PDF publication, which was a coloring book because it, we were like, we were all, you know, locked in our houses and at home. And so I just wanted to figure out a way to connect with everybody. And so I had a bunch of artists just send me black and white PDFs. And then we, OPATH put out a PDF coloring book that you could download and print and pass the time while you're waiting for quarantine to end. And so, um, but eventually we'll, we'll probably, you know, publish actual paper things, but I like the idea of just being like a P a PDF only a PDF press. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all, that's what's going on um, as far as like expanding it. And then, you know, like we're in a cycle now of OPAF happening in LA in September every year. And so God willing, or, you know, pandemic willing, um, it will be happening in September again at, at Angel's Gate. So that was kind of a nice thing that happened with having to cancel it because we were doing spring versions. And the wind is great and everything, but then having to worry about rain is a whole other thing. We had to cancel like have rain dates and all that. So doing it in September is kind of great. Like, so we're, we're going to stay on a September cycle. So, so mark your calendar, <laughs> block out all of September because I don't know the date yet, but, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on. That's great. No, I, I really appreciated uh, the time that we were able to take to, to talk about path and talk about it as your practice and your, your practice like how arts and, just a more casual note, you mentioned you worked as a DJ. You did DJing at Keichung, which is an AM and online radio station broadcast out of Chinatown. Yes. And I was wondering if you had recommendations for our listeners for what to listen to uh, in 2022. Yeah, I um, I guess I, I do, but it's funny. It's just like I've, for some reason, I'm just like in this hole of, so I, I'm spending all my time either listening to like 1930s era. I discovered recently um, Annette Hanshaw and the Boswell sisters is who I was listening to first. The, and then like you get in these like, you know, recommendation things when you're in, when you're streaming, but Annette Hanshaw is amazing. And um, it's just like, there's something about, I think, I think what I realized is like listening to music from the thirties makes total sense right now for me because it's this weird moment like right before the world exploded and like things went completely wrong and world war ii started and you're in between like world war one and world war ii and and there's something about like connecting with that period of time for me right now which is like comforting but like because i guess it's like a reminder that like you know things 
are uh, you know go in cycles, and that um, everyone's been through stuff before we're not the first and so I don't know maybe it's that but anyway and then I got in the and then I've also been in this kick I think because Ronnie Spector just died I've been in this like girl group like 60s girl group Mm. kick which is great um like that's an always that's a go-to I think like that's just like you can't you can never go wrong and then also because of like streaming stuff I mean just discovering music is so easy and like dangerous. And I've been like listening to like British post punk new wave bands that I had never heard of, you know, like obscure ones that have like an album out that like then get discovered 40 years later or whatever. And I was, and I would recommend um, Tangled Shoelaces, which are an Australian group that were, it's kind of insane. They were like between like the ages of like 14 and 17 or something, but they're amazing. And they like, they're from Brisbane, I think. And then, um, Oh, girls at our best. I just discovered. And I really like them as well. So those are my, those are my recs. Great. Thanks for our continued. Some, some people COVID quarantining, some people starting to drive in their cars places. Yeah. All of that is good for either. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, thanks for taking the time, Kay. And of course, and thank you for your time as well. Thank you for listening. Beyond the Blue Wall is a production of the Advancement Department at CalArts. We are still recording from home, so please forgive any ambient noises you've heard during the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can visit calarts.edu and navigate to the Contact Us section of the website. We'll see you next time beyond the blue wall.